Chapter 6 My office was already dark and locked by the time I got back over there. Someone had stuck a blue post-it note on the front door. I pulled it off, unlocked the door, and flipped the lights back on. The note was from Katie. I have some lasagna for you. We're at home. If you want it, come get it. By the way, Sunday is your niece's 16th birthday. Family dinner at 1 p.m. You better be there. Your favorite sister, Katie. Three circular smiley faces followed by three large X's were scrawled beneath her name. I smiled. I could always count on Katie. Even though we were about ten years apart in age, I was closer to her than any of my other siblings. At least once or twice a week, she either called or dropped by the office to check in on me or bring food. Looked like tonight was another one of those nights. I was lucky to be a part of the Fitzhugh clan, even if more of Ma's Galeone gene pool seemed to dominate. Like most of the Italian families in New Travoli, we were close, almost painfully close. Most of us had chosen homes within the old neighborhood, except me, of course. I never did what anyone wanted. Aiden Jr., we called him AJ, was the oldest in the clan and a loan officer at a bank downtown. He was married to Dora, who was a little too junior league for me with her expensive clothes and an uppity attitude, but hey, to each his own. I didn't have to live with her. Family dinners used to be dominated by her tales of what cruise she and AJ would be going on that summer, or how each of their children soared academically at their expensive private colleges. Now all we heard about were their glorious career choices and genetically superior grandchildren they produced. Even Ma, when she was alive, rolled her eyes at Dora's continual efforts to impress. Randy, the brains in the family, is the next one in line. He works in Akron, as a chemical engineer. Serious and nerdy, he never fit in with our loud, raucous crowd, but resembled Dad the most with his red hair and freckles. His wife Mimi is equally quiet and mousy, or maybe she was just overwhelmed by her pushy sister-in-law Dora. They had four kids. The whole family was so unassuming, they were all easy to ignore, but that didn't mean they were excluded from the Sunday pasta dinners. Then there was Chrissy whose husband Arnold runs the service department of the Ford dealership in town. Chrissy works at AAA as a travel agent, and now that Ma is dead, is settling the mantle of family matron around her shoulders. They have five kids, most of whom are finishing high school and looking at college, or community college. The oldest one, Gianni, we all called him Johnny, was Arnold's pride and joy. He chose to enlist in the Marines and currently served at 29 Palms, California. Mateo and the youngest brother, Polly, both teach school. Polly isn't married yet. He may still fulfill Ma's wish for a priest in the family, as much time as he spends at St. Rita's Catholic Church. Mateo came home from college with a pretty little Episcopalian blonde named Denise, who hauled him down the aisle the summer between his college graduation and the day he began teaching history at the middle school. They wouldn't be as fecund as everyone else. Ma blamed it on the Episcopal Church. But they're happy with the two they had, the only set of twin girls in the family. Those girls are both in their early 20s now, one finishing up a teaching degree at UC and the other working as a paralegal in Cincinnati. They roomed together and both called their mother almost every day. Then there was me, the incorrigible son, the one who never made anyone happy with my life choices, born between Chrissy and Matteo. 
Dad was proud that I'd come home from the Air Force and become a cop like him. But I don't think Ma ever got over the fact that she never had a priest in the family. Or that I'd never have kids of my own. Then I managed to rope in a gorgeous cello-playing college professor named Dr. Grace Darcy, and all was forgiven. Katie, the wild girl, was born after Mateo but before Polly. She got her nursing degree and left Fawcettville for a couple years, but came back with a husband named Pete, a baby named Rosanna whose birthday we'd celebrate Sunday, and, as time went by, three more kids. All boys. Somehow, Katie and I bonded closer than the others. I'm not saying I wasn't close to the others. I was. But Katie and I shared the bullshitter fits you mentality the others didn't have, or at least what they didn't show in public. More than once we provided off-the-cuff alibis for each other, and while everyone made sure I had meals to eat and clean sheets to sleep on as Gracie inched toward death, it was Katie's shoulder I cried on. It was Katie who brought me dinner when she had extra, and Katie who always asked if I was doing okay long after Gracie was gone. Before I could drop by, though, I needed to make some phone calls. Maybe I could find Ed Nash. I flipped on my computer and started looking for one Ed Nash from Chillicothe, Ohio. Fortunately for me, he still had a landline back home, at least according to the internet. After three rings, a youngish-sounding woman answered. Hello? Hi, I'm looking for Ed Nash. It's about a job. I purposefully didn't identify myself. Who knows what she knew about Ed's life during the week. I wasn't going to expose any secrets. If he had told her he'd lost one job, though, she'd be more anxious to put me in touch with him. Oh, I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear from you. Didn't he give you his cell number? Yes, he did, but I spilled coffee on his application and I can't read it anymore. Pretty stupid, huh? Being a liar often got me in trouble with the women in my life, but it came in handy in this line of work. Can you give me that number again, please? The woman rattled off seven numbers for me, then remembered the area code, which I scrawled on my desktop blotter. Do you happen to know where he's staying? I stopped by the Heavenly Hills campground earlier today, and he had already relocated. Oh, I know. He told me a lot of these campgrounds have a policy of only allowing a two-week stay, so he had to leave. When they get our house built there, we'll move, but until then, it's cheaper for him to stay in that old ratty trailer and come home on the weekends. He did, did he? I'm sure the old man behind the counter at Heavenly Hills Campground would beg to differ, I thought to myself. Not paying your lot rent leaves a lot of money to throw at strippers, too. So where did he move to, then? There was a rustling on the other end of the phone. Here it is. This campground is called Open Skies Outdoor Resort. It's located south of town. Thanks. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Ed's such a good husband, willing to go so far away from the family to find work. Our baby is doing just a couple months, and he sends as much of his paycheck home as he can. Losing his job at full bore drilling was unfortunate, but as you can see, he didn't waste any time looking for a new job. A lot of men wouldn't do that, but my Ed would. I guess Mr. Hawksworth had to lay off several men, what with the lawsuits and all. Uh-huh. It was a lie that she already believed. There's no way in hell I would tell my wife I got canned for beating up a transgender stripper. After all, the lawsuits were public record. Even an asshole like Nash could read about them in the paper. Well, thanks for everything, ma'am. We said our goodbyes and hung up. There'd be time enough for me to grab that lasagna at Katie's house and head out to Open Skies Outdoor Resort to check on Mr. Nash before it got dark. It was another half hour before my loose ends were tied up, and I got my ass over to Katie's place in New Tivoli, 
two blocks from the old family homestead. Pete was already in front of the TV watching the news. He hollered his greetings as they came in the kitchen door. The family had already eaten, but she put a plate of microwaved lasagna, warm garlic bread, and a tossed salad in front of me at the kitchen table. I heard you ran into Josie today, she said, sitting across from me and sipping from her nightly cup of decaf. I spoke around a mouthful of lasagna. Good God, are you two still connected at the hip? She laughed. No, I happened to call her about Sunday and she said she'd ran into you at the hospital. Something about information on a case. I nodded as I swallowed and took a sip of Chianti. Yes, that's true. She spun her coffee spoon on the tabletop and looked up at me, grinning. You know, you two might make a cute couple. No. You sure? It's been a year, Nico. No, Katie. Why not? She's single, and if anybody understands what you've been through, it's Josie. Rocco's a wonderful kid, well-mannered, a good student. Everything anybody would love to have in a teenager. There are days I'd love to turn in my brats for somebody like Rocco, I'll tell you that. I know Josie hasn't dated anyone since that radiologist two years ago. The one whose wife hired me to find out who he was screwing on the side? The one Josie brought to that 4th of July cookout you had? Easiest 500 bucks I ever made. Yeah, that was a little embarrassing for everyone. But the two of you would be perfect together. I laid my fork down and glanced at my watch. Listen, little sister, I appreciate your efforts, but I'm just not ready to meet anyone right now. I wake up every morning hoping to God that Gracie's in bed beside me. And every morning when she's not, my heart breaks all over again. Katie cocked her head and smiled sadly. You know Gracie would want you to be happy. You know she would want you to find somebody. Finding somebody wasn't the problem. Alicia Linderman proved that to me. This was something deeper. No, Katie. I'm beginning to see Gracie's death as some sort of divine retribution for all the years I ran around with my dick in my hand. She was my one small chance at happiness, and now she's gone. Nico, that's not true. You stopped screwing around when you met Gracie. We all saw a difference in you. Even Ma said that. But I understand. You have to take things at your own pace. I'm not ready yet, Katie. I'm just not ready. Listen, I've got to get running. I have one more stop to make tonight on the same case. No, the truth is you don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. She pulled my dinner away from me, transferred it to a paper plate, and covered it with foil. Here. You want more? There's still plenty. You'll be here for Rosie's birthday dinner, right? Yeah, whose idea was that? When I was 16, I sure as hell didn't want to spend it with my family. I remember. She laughed and handed me the covered plate. No, I'm taking her and a couple friends out for a girly day on Saturday. Lunch, shopping, manicure. Dinner was her dad's idea. We walked out the side door to my excursion. She hugged me before I slid behind the driver's seat. It will get better, Nico. It will. God, I hope so. I cranked over the engine and backed down the uneven brick driveway, hoping she didn't see the tears in my eyes. <laughs>